I'm Tony Val, and this is Hoosier Hometown Heroes. Hello, everybody, and indeed, welcome to another edition of Hoosier Hometown Heroes. We are, of course, sponsored by Prometheus Consulting. If you've ever wondered what the next industrial revolution will be, well, guess what? It's already here. My guest today is founder and CEO of Datus, a visionary company providing predictive and prescriptive analytics to the industrial sector. Is a future of near zero downtime within reach? We'll soon find out. I now welcome to the show, Anurag Garg. Welcome, Anurag. Thank you for having me, Tony. So I thought maybe a good place to start is to talk about uh, what, what we mean by downtime in the industrial sector. So let's see, I had, I've been thinking about sort of a concept to see if I understand kind of the value you guys are providing. And, and let's see how I do. So I'm thinking of um, uh, an industry like mining. Let's say we have a big mining interest. Um, um, they've got maybe a massive exploration drill, let's say. They're, they're drilling to see what's you know in some huge plot of land. And a ball bearing goes out and it just kills the drill and they've got to stop things, order apart, um, get that drill fixed before they can start mining again, start searching. And so there's a huge cost associated mm-hmm. to that. So is that, first of all, is that the ty- type of downtime you guys are addressing? Yes, absolutely. So you gotta think about when that drill goes down, how many of those drills there are at the, at the mine? And if one drill is down, how many other pieces of machine machinery are idle until that drill is fixed? Um, you may have multiple trucks, you may have a shovel, all, all the equipment, all the labor, everyone, everything stops mm-hmm. until that drill is back up and running. And there's an opportunity cost associated with that downtime, how much money you could have been making if that drill was operating, and what costs you're incurring paying your workforce who's sitting and doing nothing because you're still waiting for the drill to be fixed. Yes. and. Is it true that your technology will report to, let's say, the foreman or whoever's watching the equipment, it will report ahead of time, hey, I'm about to fail. Exactly. That's the whole idea. We're enabling greater visibility into real-time status of the machines. We're collecting continuous data and unlocking the intelligence from that data to be able to say not just what's happening right now, but based on the current data trend, what will happen in the next so many hours or so many days, so many weeks. So you can get get ahead of that failure, predict that failure and fix it before things go wrong. Uh-huh. So is, is your, um, is your technology when you're, when you're implemented at a, at a client facility, let's, we'll, we'll talk about the mine cause that's, that's a picture I painted. Um, when you're at, when your stuff is installed, are you learning about the equipment they have? In other words, does it does it become better at predicting over time that failure, the failure window? Absolutely. Just like us as humans, the more we see, the more we learn. We can teach machines to do the same. The more data they have, the longer we've been collecting data. There's a lot that machines can learn. Um, ironically, it's called machine learning, um, where you can teach or you can develop algorithms which will make your 
technology make your software, make your programs better at understanding the machine and predicting failure. Have you guys actually done a, um, have you studied different verticals to, to understand what is the cost of downtime? Absolutely, and it, and it changes industry to industry. So the mines, uh, the mining example we've been talking about, um, a surface coal mine typically, depending on the piece of equipment, um, a mining shovel, uh, say a BE-495 shovel um, that uh, fills up a 80-ton mining truck in three bucket loads. This is a huge piece of equipment. Typical average size mine may have maybe one or two of these. This thing produces about $20,000 an hour. Um, hmm. So the opportunity cost of downtime is $20,000 an hour, plus the cost of repair, plus the cost of idling everything else on the mine. Hmm. Take that to a continuous manufacturing facility, say a automotive manufacturing plant that's producing so many cars every hour. There, the opportunity cost of downtime is maybe $100,000 an hour. Mm. Take that to a um, oil exploration or oil drilling rig in the middle of the ocean. The opportunity cost there is several hundred thousand dollars an hour. Mm. So it depends on the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's more, it, it, one piece of it is the downtime, um, what the opportunity cost is, and the other side of it is what does business interruption mean? Take the pharmaceutical industry, for example. If on a pharmaceutical production line, if something fails unexpectedly, the entire batch of pharmaceuticals that they've been producing at that time goes down the drain because they've lost control over the process. That's $2 million down the drain mm. in a flash. Wow. It just occurred to me that uh, I, I, I get the sense now that you've had to learn an awful lot about a lot of different industries. Uh, that must be an interesting endeavor. Are you, are you studying all the time to try and inter, understand your clients' pain points better? Absolutely. Learning never stops. Mm. Both uh, both uh, reading and, and, and reading things online and, and uh, educating ourselves. But we've made it our objective from day one to listen to the customers. Mm -hmm. um, before we uh, jumped into uh, running Datas full-time, we had conducted about 200 customer interviews just to go out and learn the pain points in the industry, understand what people needed, um, what problems they had that were not being fulfilled by technology today so we could understand where we could come in and fill the gaps. Mm. Now, after hearing about the cost of downtime, I, I, I would assume a, a naive view would say, well, this sounds like kind of a no-brainer. On the surface, surface, it seems like an absolute mm -hmm. no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Are you finding, as you bring this to market, uh, surely other there are other forces uh, come to bear, and you know, it's no matter how good the idea, it seems like, you know, uh, maybe the first guy to sell water, maybe that's sold perfectly <laughs> well. But are you having to to educate your your clients on your technology and the benefits and savings and so forth? Absolutely. Um, Think going to continuous monitoring and the t sort of type of technology that we're bringing to market is a no-brainer, yes. But but that doesn't mean that it's not changing the way they do business today. The, they being maintenance staff today or industrial facilities today. Mm -hmm. um, we had I won't name the company, but we had a, a reliability uh, manager at one of these companies say, um, you know, we're still operating like it was the 1990s. Um, and we've and, and I, I've visited manufacturing facilities that operate as if it was 50 years ago. Um, no, n no safety, no regard for you know. They're still you know 
on a run to failure mode. Mm-hmm. If something fails, we'll go fix it um, because you're still kind of living day to day. The education piece is a big is a big aspect because you're 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 making the maintenance department change the way they do things, um, and change is uncomfortable. Um, Yes, yes, uh, yeah, we see that all over the place. Anurag, I, I would assume, see, in my mind, there's also this, this element, there's this nano element. I'm going to call it a nano element because, okay. and I guess what I mean by that is, um, well, you are using nanotechnology, correct, to, you're, you're, I'm assuming you're using nano sensors, you're, you're using equipment that is microscopically small to monitor and report back, is that correct? Some of the sensor technology that we commercialize um, is based on micro nano uh, devices. Mm-hmm. Um, but the overall solution is sensor agnostic in that we can, we're, we're taking off the shelf sensors and plugging them in as well. Mm. Um, so we, we, we can implement this without the nano scale. The, the nano sensors or, or the micro nano sensors come into play um, with certain proprietary sensor technologies that enable detection in areas where it was not possible before. We're able to put uh, temperature and vibration sensors on the inside of the machines in the harsh environment conditions, you know, on the bearing cage, rotating with the bearing in contact with the lubricant. Mm. Um, that sort of sensing, that sort of resolution was never available before. So in applications where, that demand it, that's, that's also something we can enable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just goes to, um, this kind of application specific thing. I see. Do you do you see or do you predict that some potential clients might take almost a two-step process? Maybe they go into your offering, but with kind of so, so-called traditional sensors. Let's say mm-hmm. they understand. They start to see the benefits. They say, "Wow, we really like this. What else? What else can we can we learn using the nano technology?" Do, mm-hmm. do you see them kind of moving to uh, t- taking two steps to move? into your offering? Certain specific clients, yes. Um, step one is let's get continuous data. And then step two is, okay, what are the machines where we need extreme high resolution data? Where do we need 10 times the response time? Um, what are the single points of failure where um, you know, traditional sensors don't quite cut it? See, if, if, if you look at the um, industrial domain today, Continuous monitoring of machines is still cost prohibitive, or still out of reach, I should say, to about 75% of the market for cost and complexity reasons. Um, 90% of machines out there today don't have any continuous monitoring. Hmm. Um, And the reason is because it's too costly, it's too complex. Um, On the flip side, we hear so much talk about Industry 4.0 and the next industrial revolution, like you said. Um, Smart machines that talk to each other, we see uh, sci-fi, uh, movies that 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 depict what smart smart cities, smart industries would look like. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's 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 accessible to a very small part of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be um, someone who can come in and change the game and make this accessible to that seventy five percent of the market that doesn't have any sort of continuous monitoring. Um, if we want machines to talk to each other, if we want smart machines that predict failure themselves, you know, uh, self-monitor, self-correct. Um, step one is enabling continuous data collection from these machines and learning from them. Hmm. Um, what we've done is we've simplified um, the data collection infrastructure. 
um, in a way that enables not only new technology, but new business models and mm. made it accessible. Um, so step one, like I said, improving the status quo from no data to continuous data. And then step two is how do we get better data and how do we unlock the intelligence? Is there a portion of the, of your uh, service uh, that that would give a company access to uh, to um, data crunchers or data miners? Are are you having to help interpret the data for your client? Here's what this data means. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, the 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 kind of other big problem aside from lack of continuous data in in, in the industry today is there's a lot uh, there's a lack of highly trained. Um, data engineers who know what to do with machine data mm-hmm. and can unlock unlock intelligence from from uh, continuous machine data so they go back to setting you know very basic um, uh, alert levels when temperature crosses 70 raise a flag and that's when I know something's something's gone wrong yep um, the larger companies um, you know the, the the fortune 500 companies have the budget to attract these guys who actually know what they're doing um, the rest don't. Smaller manufacturing companies usually don't have that capability. Mm. What they do is they, they bring in outside consultants um, to come in and do the data crunching for them. Now, that works, but it's not scalable. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're kind of automating that process. So outside consultants would come in you know, once every three months or six months. We can enable you to have this intelligence on a continuous basis, not a report every three months. And we're working, we're not putting these consultants out of business, we're working with them um, to empower them to monitor the machines that they service out in the field, um, give them more visibility so they can become better at what they do. Hmm. Again, sounds like a no-brainer to me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a relatively new company, correct? A couple of years, couple couple years, years old. Yep. yep. Very good. Well, I uh, I want to get into a little bit into your background, you know, because it's not every day that I get to talk to some someone that's doing this. It's pretty extor- extraordinary what mm-hmm. you're doing, and uh, part of what I'm interested in is to kind of learn how did you how did this all come about. Um, First, I, I do want to thank uh, our sponsor, of course. Uh, Hoosier Hometown Heroes is sponsored by Prometheus Consulting. We were founded by Hoosiers, we employ Hoosiers, and we instill Midwestern values in everything we do. Prometheus would be honored to play a computer so- support role on your team. Give us a call today at 317-733-2388 or find us online at prometheus.com and that's P like Peter, R-O-M like Mary, E-T-H-I-U-S.com. My guest is Anurag Garg, founder and CEO of Datus. So I would like to talk, I, I would like to take a, a big step back and um, talk a little bit about your, your upbringing. Um, so you were born in India, correct? Mm-hmm, that is correct. Yes. And you um, went away to school at a pretty young age, if I remember uh, a, pr- a previous conversation mm-hmm, we had. Mm-hmm. How, how old were you when you went so away to school? So my, my uh, uh, family moved from India to Thailand mm-hmm. when I was three. And I grew up in Thailand. Okay. Um, now it's coming back to yep. me. Yes. <laughs> grew up in Thailand. Grew up in Thailand. But then I, I think what you're referring to is I went to boarding school. Yes. When I was nine. Nine. And went back to India um, to, a, uh, to a boarding school there. Okay. Because okay. my family was moving around a fair amount in Thailand. Got it. And we had just moved to this new town that didn't quite have a good school. Mm. Um, so um, 
the, my my parents weren't sure if we were going to stick around in Thailand long enough. So I went to boarding I went to boarding school in India uh, for four years from when I was nine to when I was thirteen, grades mm-hmm. four through seven, um, and that really shaped a lot of uh, a lot of uh, who I am today. Uh, and how so? How 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 did that uh, how does that equate into today? Who you are today? Um, I think a lot of my a lot of my kind of independence comes from living by myself at that age. I mean, when I say by myself, this was this was a you know very nurturing boarding yeah, house and controlled and, and environment, very controlled environment, <laughs> of course. Um, but uh, it, it 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 teaches you a lot when you don't have mom to rely on for everything. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of taking care of yourself for the most part. Um, a lot is still provided to you, but uh, living away from home for an extended period of time teaches you a lot. Um, a lot of my independence came from there. A lot of, um, uh, you know, I've been influenced by my friends a lot. Um, and that's because, you know, boarding school, your friends were family. Hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the guys I lived with were, were effectively family at the time. Interesting. Um, I, I would imagine, too, that uh, boarding school is, it, it exposes you to to other uh, people that are probably, let's face it, coming from a fairly mm-hmm. successful background, but maybe in different ways. At least that's how it is in America. I'm mm-hmm. not sure, sure if sure, it's sure. that way in India. It was uh, exposed to people with a lot, from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say they were all from very successful backgrounds. Mm. Um, the school that I went to um, uh, was one of the uh, top schools in India, so it attracted a lot of um, kids from all over the country um, and they were uh, we had about uh, 200 kids um, in our in our house hmm. um, and that was Regents International no that, that was a school in India called Daily College ah um, and uh, um, it exposed me to a lot of people from multiple different backgrounds uh, most of them were Indian of course um, but that that uh, also taught me a lot of you know being outside my comfort zone. When you live at home, especially at that age, you know you're you're very used to a, a comfort and familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, when you live with people who are very very different to yourself, you know think differently, who work differently, whose home environments are very different, um, um, in 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 all different ways, um, it teaches you a lot about how to how to how to interact, how to. Um, um, be comfortable around people different to yourself. Um, I, I, you know, something I noticed about you uh, that I'll just mention here because I think it relates. You have um, <clears throat> kind of a poise to you. You're, you seem very comfortable. And when I think about, um, it, in in general terms, a person that's now this is your first company. Correct. This is my first real company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. I, we talked. It would be fun to talk about yeah, your, sure, your previous sure, company. Sure. But um, okay, so this is your first real com- this is my company. This my first real company. A cutting edge offering, cutting edge technology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, endless co- uh, complexity. Mm-hmm. Yet, mm-hmm. you see, every time I've been around you, you seem just very under control. Just get very relaxed. So you, you think some of those early challenges and having to kind of grow up early um, has helped you to be that way? Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of that is, is, is something I've learned over the years. Um, after boarding school in India, I went back to Thailand and I uh, stayed at home for the last five years of 
of school. Mm-hmm. Um, did high school in Thailand at a school called the Regents International School. Um, and uh, same story. Um, this being an international school, there were students from multiple different countries. Um, again, very, very different to myself, um, very different ways of thinking. Um, that gave me a very global outlook that, again, um, instilled in me how to interact and, 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 and um, um, uh, be around people different to myself who think differently, who work differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked up a lot of leadership roles um, in high school, um, and it taught me to lead teams with people very different to myself. And this is um, where this is where that previous is, business this comes. Is that Let's talk about business that comes in. There's a program um, called Young Enterprise. Um, it's um, um, it's a British um, program. This is this was a British mm-hmm. international school, mm-hmm. um, and our school had just started it. It was a second year doing it, and um, um, I I led I led a team about fifteen, making and selling greeting cards. And uh, I love it. We called ourselves Chameleon Cards changing colors for all the seasons and all mm-hmm, the <laughs> mm-hmm. different things that I have cards for. Um, we did uh, digital cards and handmade crafty cards. And this was uh, back in um, uh, 2003 when uh, digital printing and uh, uh, edge-to-edge printing was, you know, uh, photo printers were becoming more and more common. Hmm. Um, and uh, we, I remember taking a uh, I think it was a uh, 14,000 Thai baht loan from um, the, one of the teachers. Um, oh my goodness. To buy a printer hmm. and paper. Um, I had some software with me and we started, uh, started making and selling cards. And it was within the school environment. Uh, we never did anything outside um, necessarily, unless we had you know, parents come in and, and, mm-hmm. and, and buy stuff. Um, I think we ended up uh, we ended up um, netting about a hundred thousand Thai baht in in profits wow. at the end of at the end of the whole thing. So the teacher got his money back. And the teacher got got the money back six weeks <laughs> ahead of uh, six weeks Impressive. before we were supposed to. Yes, uh, uh, handed back and um, two thousand December two thousand four um, the tsunami hit Southeast Asia. Wow, and that hit very close to home because I mean we were in Thailand. The uh, parts of Thailand were, were destroyed. Our school did a lot, lot of um, service projects and home building and all of that um, in, in the affected regions. Um, so we um, that, that was a great time to end and, and and shut things down as well because we were getting ready to graduate. Mm. Um, we donated everything everything we had uh, earned to to the service projects the school had. See, I'm thinking a, a tsunami comes. Think of all the get well soon cards you could have sold. <laughs> you got to think out, outside the box on rock. <laughs> I think I think the money went a long way. Uh, the get well card, the get well soon cards could have done as well. But <laughs> uh, that's my that's just my sense of humor. You know, speaking of um, of uh, business uh, business experience mm-hmm. in school, mm-hmm. I had a, uh, a grade school friend um, who was actually a horrible student he was always (laughs) um he was always working with tutors and just having a Mm -hmm. horrible time barely Mm -hmm. getting by Mm -hmm. he networked his way so just people skills Mm -hmm. he networked his way into some elite boarding school on the east coast eventually ended up in uh harvard business school and this is 
I got to tell you, it's mostly just his personality. And I won't get deep into that uh, here, but it's a, we'll talk about it over okay. coffee someday. But uh, I remember uh, talking with him um, after he went to this boarding school and he, he said, all the kids have a business, all of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's just part of the culture. Like, and what was interesting is I, I was just starting, uh, co- I was about to go to cop my first year of college. And when I understood that this group of kids in some boarding school somewhere mm-hmm, on the East mm-hmm. Coast, when it was just commonplace for them all to have a business, what it did for me is I realized, why couldn't I mm-hmm. have a bit? You know, so I started, I guess, my first business as a freshman in college. And uh, it's, I did not pay anybody back. It failed. I actually didn't borrow any money either. It was all my own money, but um, learned a lot of great lessons. Sure. But I think sometimes that exposure, um, it's invaluable. Just when you you learn what other people are doing and what's possible. Sometimes that's all you need to hear is that someone else is doing this or has done this. And you say, well, why not myself? It it motivates you a lot to see others doing it. Um, I have... have, um, Friends who, who who keep telling me, you know, I I wish I was doing what you were doing because it it I mean to see someone go this route um, is 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 quite motivating. And in fact, part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I have seen friends go go down this path. Hmm. Um, when I did Young Enterprise, this that was the second year um, uh, our school was doing it, and I I saw the class before and I saw what they did, and I was like, you know, this would be cool. Hmm. We should we should you know I. I want to lead something myself as well. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Um, uh, I've, I've, I think that was when I, I became very entrepreneurial. Um, and learning the business skills back in high school helped a lot. I went through a program in high school called IB, International Baccalaureate. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a two-year high school diploma. It's junior and senior high school. It's a two-year program. And uh, imagine um, taking only AP classes. Mm. Take, you take six AP classes for two years. Um, uh, each one's a two-year course. Mm. Um, it's a very, very rigorous program, um, and it taught me a lot. I think I, I learned more about business then, and from my teachers then, than I ever did through through any of my classes at Purdue. Um, mm. And then it uh, got on steroids when I started <laughs> Bearing Analytics, which is now Datus, yeah. um, and learned so much more through all the accelerators and the programs we went through. Um, we're, we're now part of part of a program called founder.org, um, started by a, a guy called Michael Baum, who mm. um, is a former founder and CEO of a company called Splunk. Um, mm. And uh, founder.org is a, a global entrepreneur development program. They, they, they take and select entrepreneurs and companies from around the world, and uh, uh, they coach them for a year, they, they, they nurture them, teach, teach, teach the young entrepreneurs how to build companies, and they work with student entrepreneurs. Um, and the goal is um, encouraging the younger generation to start businesses mm. and encourage job creation down the road. Um, I've learned so much from that, and that's right. I, I met more of the guys you're talking about, you know. But every, yeah. everyone has had a business before. Yes. Um, I was um, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend some time ago, and, and we were talking about how we were kind of proud of uh, our leadership uh, accomplishments before this current business, and and you know. I, w- I was proud of the fact that I, I started my first thing back in high school, and it was a small thing, but I you know I started something yeah. back in high school. Um, met a guy um, in this program who's 22, he's about five years younger than I am. Um, him and his brother, this is their third successful company. 
third mm. successful real company. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite humbling. Um, you know, I have this theory that um, um, I, th- I think entrepreneurship is mm-hmm. almost a, um, just a human character, like quality mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. really we all have. Yep, I think yep. it's in just about everybody. Yep. And it's all about getting, uh, getting someone, be they a child mm-hmm. or a senior mm-hmm. citizen, um, getting them exposure and experience and just kind of trying it. I have, uh, we have some friends that uh, have uh, two young daughters and they were telling uh, my wife and I the other day, oh, we can't get them to, they're selling everything. They're, uh, they're uh, you know, <laughs> the one that, I remember from the conversations they're even selling foot massages, you know? <laughs> we are always telling her to stop selling stuff. And I said, no, 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 no. This is this is exactly what you want, you know, this foster this. It's um, a great skill. Yes. Great skill. Yeah, selling yeah. is selling yep. is a great skill. Yep. Yep. Um, my guest is Anurag Garg. He is founder and CEO of Datus. So getting back to Datus, Anurag, uh, what is a what is a good client for you? Is there a, is there a certain size or a certain um, <clears throat> industrial vertical that that's a really good fit? We've seen the best or the most value that we can drive in a in a facility is anything that has continuous operations, hmm. um, continuous manufacturing operations, a process, or maybe it's you know. Um, aviation or transportation where the idea is there there are a few single points of failure where there are things in that system or that line or that machine where if that fails, everything shuts down. And the mm-hmm. cost of downtime is huge. So mm-hmm. there's a need to get ahead of that failure. Um, manufacturing facilities are a great example. Um, Size-wise, um, I don't think I don't think there is a limitation on what size of company we can we can drive value at. Um, of course, um, companies that are smaller than maybe ten million in size, um, up, up ten million dollars in annual revenue, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, usually, they're they're kind of running day to day, and things move slower. Um, but any sort of large continuous manufacturing operation is a great client. We've seen a lot of value and a lot of opportunity with. Um, uh, service providers, so you know, machine rebuild and repair shops, or companies mm. that are providing um, uh, machine monitoring or machine repair or machine um, um, data collection services. Mm. Um, kind of who companies who are doing what we do, but on a on a more manual basis, mm-hmm. um, giving them visibility into the equipment in the field that they own and service today. Because usually to them what happens is something fails at a customer location. They get a call to say, hey, something broke. Can you come tomorrow and fix it? And we've, we've, had, um, we've heard guys have, to, uh, have had to travel from here to Australia wow. to service a broken machine on a day's notice. Those tickets are not cheap. I can imagine. <laughs> wow. So if you can get ahead of that failure, if you can give, if you can give these guys you know, visibility into the equipment that they're servicing in the field, Helps them get ahead of um, get ahead of failure before it occurs. Mm-hmm. Plan better. Maybe give the, you know give your clients a call to say, "Hey, I'm beginning to see this problem. Take care of this. Do this. You, you may be able to prevent failure." Um, 
there's a lot, there's a lot of money to be saved there. There's a lot of value to be driven. So that's the that's the, that's the other ideal client. In essence, are they are they almost uh, reselling your service? They are exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they they charge their clients a fee to have the constant monitoring. Yep. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Sounds just like IT. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what Prometheus does. That's what Prometheus does. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. Huh, that's fascinating. Well, I, I before I forget, I do want to mention that the uh, website is datus.com, mm-hmm. correct? D-A-T-T-U-S, datus.com. D-A-T-T-U-S. How did you come up with the name? Um, it's a play between data and status. Mm. Um, we're empowering engineers with data-driven intelligence um, on the status of their machines. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, it's a made up word, um, but I think it explains what we do pretty well. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. thoughtful. Sometimes, you know, when I ask someone, how, how did you name your company? You hear, you know, <laughs> thought it was a cool name. Uh, we get asked all the time, yeah. how, did, how did you uh, name Prometheus? How, how, we, how did you name Prometheus? Well, so uh, Denver Abernathy, the, the, the other partner here at Prometheus, uh-huh. he was a, uh, a, uh, a Greek uh, mythology buff in college. And he said, when we started the company, he said, I have the perfect name. He said, uh, uh, let's call it Prometheus because uh, Prometheus is the Greek god of forethought. Okay. That's what he told me. Okay. And, uh, and uh, he said, what better word for IT consultants? Forethought. You know, that allows us to tell the story. Now, as it turns out, over the year, we've been in business 16 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have now met several Greek mythology buffs over the years. And they don't think of forethought as the first thought when they hear Prometheus. Okay. What do they think? They think of the story of Prometheus, which uh, he, I, I think Prometheus gave fire to humans or something, maybe. Um, but the, the, the thing that I always hear is he was chained to a rock and his eyes were pecked out by some vultures or something. <laughs> and, uh, once I heard that story four or five times, why'd you pick the guy that was chained to a rock and his eyes were pecked out? I said, Denver, you know, not a good choice. <laughs> we, we already seven or eight years into it, and, right. you know, name recognition. So right, right. anyway. I like so, the name though. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll think of forethought. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so once again, my guest has been Anurag Garg. He is founder and CEO of Datus. And you can learn about Datus at datus.com, D-A-T-T-U-S. Um, Anurag, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, and I wish you the Likewise. best of luck. And someday I'm going to have you back, and we'll see, we'll see how far you've grown. Absolutely. Thank Very you good. so much, Tony. Okay, thank you.